Hi everyone and welcome to episode 50 of SAMA. We've reached the big 5-0 and um, we, we're so proud we thought we'd never reach it. <laughs> now we've got to reach 100. Uh, today's episode is self-healing. Now we're very fortunate today to have Barbara O'Neill here with us. Uh, Barbara is an author, educator, qualified naturopath and nutritionist. She's also an international speaker on natural self-healing. Now, she's raised eight children, so she knows something about health and is a specialist in women's and children's health. Uh, she's also the health director of the successful Misty Mountain Health Retreat, and we'll be talking about this retreat during the course of the summer. The retreat is located in the Clay Valley, west of Kempsey, between Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie. Barbara is passionate about good health and natural healing. She believes in giving the body optimum conditions in order for it to heal itself. And during this interview, we'll be talking about the benefits of retreats, gut health and IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, fantastic fats, yay, and the damage of pollution. So welcome to our show, Barbara. We're so lucky to have you on. That's good to be here. Now, Barbara, the, the question which um, I'm really wanting to know the answer to is your Misty Mountains retreat. Now, I've seen the photos. I've looked at it on the internet. It looks like paradise. It, it looks amazing. What's it like to live there? It's very, very nice. We, we live way out in the bush, and I've been living out in the bush for about 40, 45 years now, and I very Gosh. much like it. Yeah, I, I love being able to run up and down the hills every morning and then dive in the creek. It's, I, it's very beautiful and I value it very much. You know, um, children that are raised in cities miss out on all of that. They don't have massive do. green... And so they, they're growing up to be almost like, a, a you know, well, they're going to have, your personality is molded by your environment. And if you're surrounded by nowhere to play and people telling you you can't do that because you might break something, whereas if you, if you go out into the bush, you just break something and it grows back again. <laughs> that's true. Even legs. <laughs> Even legs. Well, that's the hard knocks of life as well. And you... Um, I was actually thinking about this, not very recently, but how some people now seem to take risks and don't really realise that they can actually seriously heal them, uh, uh, hurt themselves. And it's because they haven't, I think, it's because they haven't hurt themselves when they're young and they haven't learned that lesson. Yeah, that, that's very true. <laughs> our, our three grandsons, they're, um, oh, they're 9, 10 and 13. They come every holidays for a week and... They're just in the creek all day. And <laughs> they just, they just it, love it. <laughs> it's back to the basics. So tell me, Barbara, why, why do you think you've got such an affinity to nature? Do you know, I really think it is in all of us. I was not brought up in the country. I was brought up in a little town. It was a country town, but it was still city. And... Then when I was psych nursing in about the 70s, um, my friends and I, we all had this view that we should get back to nature. And I guess <laughs> that's when I started looking at getting back to nature. And I started to read books. I read books about people who lived in the bush. I read books about women 100 years ago and how they'd raised their children, and I just loved it. And I know it's a law of the mind that the, the, the mind starts to be like what you're listening to, what you're watching, and a great love stirred up in me to want to, to live a more primitive life, I suppose. Yeah, well, you say primitive, but I wonder whether it is in the true sense of the word because um, is, is, is advanced really sitting down and playing games on your computer or walking around doing the zombie walk with a phone in your hand? I don't think that's no. advanced. No, it is, it is not advanced. And there was an article in the newspaper in Australia only a week ago saying that a lot of experts are very concerned about the amount of time children are on technology 
and also about how children are in such a sheltered environment, they're not learning things for themselves, they're not learning things by cause and effect, and there's a lot of concern about the way children are being brought up today. I think that concern is um, quite valid. Like, I mean, you think back to our um, childhoods, Barbara, I guess there's times you just got, you just want to burn energy Mm. and it can be good. It can become good energy as in running out and and stubbing a toe and and doing stuff out in the the open. Or it can be negative energy, which is stuck inside a room because there's no parks. That's true. That's true. And and I also also think because I raised three boys – that, that um, if you say to a boy, don't do that, that's dangerous, that's the thing they want to do. It's just in a boy to conquer, to conquer. And if, if you don't let the boys climb the trees and jump the jumps on their bikes, they're going to go to the computer games and they're going to get into the violent computer games, which are very dangerous on their developing mind. Right, right. So in your retreat, um, do you have computers do you have computer games no we don't have computer games at all we do have wi-fi because we do have some guests who need to pay staff midweek be in contact with husbands children things like that but we turn our wi-fi off at night we want our guests to be sleeping at night because sleeping at night is a very important part of recovery but also maintaining health uh so we we don't have mobile access, but we do have Wi-Fi, and again, uh, at periods through the day. Is it quite regimented? I guess a lot of the people that come to your retreat, they are unwell, and so you need to be, I guess, rather vigorous in your in your in your approach and the programs that you have there. Can you? Uh, um, can you just walk us through an example? Let's say I, I come to the retreat. Uh, what sort of conditions would I have? What's, what's typical for people that go there? Okay, well, a, a very typical one is, say, diabetes, high blood pressure. So okay. when, when a guest first comes in, they will have a consultation with me where I'll go through their history and their symptoms and I'll make some suggestions of what uh, of what different things we might give them. Say for high blood pressure, we'd probably give magnesium and hawthornberry, encourage they drink more water and be exercising. And every afternoon there's a steam sauna down by the creek where the guests are in the hot steam and then they dive into the mountain stream and then they go back into the steam bath. I've got to ask you to stop because... I'm starting to want to go there myself. <laughs> <and I haven't laughs> got there. <laughs> Are you sure it's not a holiday retreat? You've talked about you know, a hot pool. And a, oh, yeah. this, you've, just, you've just described paradise. And yeah. Yes, it's, suppose- very, it's very nice. A lot of our guests are a bit worried about going from the hot steam sauna hut into the cool creek. But, you know, after the first day, it becomes one of the most popular events of the day. Because is there sorry because you're quite hot and you're wanting to dive into the cool water <laughs> yes um now is it go, is going from hot to cold part of the recovery process has that got a healing function it certainly has and it's been used in healing centers through europe for centuries so heating the body up you're almost producing a mini fever and when you produce a mini fever your white blood cell count increases your blood circulation increases so the body throws off more waste and because you're in the hot steam you begin to perspire a lot and a a lot of uh, environmental poisons are sweated out and then and then the person dives in the cool water and the cool yes. water is different to cool air. Cool air can chill, but cool water can prevent chilling. And what the cool water does is it equalizes circulation and prevents chilling and makes sure that brain doesn't get too hot before you go back in the steam. <laughs> <sighs> wow. And where, where the Misty Mountains retreat is located, is that a tropical area? Is it naturally quite warm? 
No, it's not a tropical area. We're about halfway up the east coast of Australia. Right at the top of Australia, it's quite tropical. And right down okay. the bottom of Australia, it's quite cool. So we get a little bit of both worlds. We have cool winters where there's frost on the ground and we have quite hot summers. So we get a little bit of both. Great, great. Um, now, okay, so I've, I've got my diabetes and high blood pressure. I've, I've, um, I've checked them. Do I get a little cabin? Yes, you do. You do. We have uh, a variety of rooms. We have in our health centre five rooms. Um, and then outside our health centre, probably about a two-minute walk away, we have uh, four other rooms that are joined together. They get a beautiful view. They're right up on the side of the hill. So we have nine rooms in all. We try and limit our guests to 14 at a time. We try and keep it a personal program. Right. Yes, I, I, I got the impression when I looked on the internet as quite a large one, but it's, it's quite a comfortable, cosy yeah. little community then. Oh, it is. And we like to keep it personal. Okay. So I get, um, I get my cabin. What sort of things would you tell me? What's the schedule for... Like I've arrived late afternoon, okay, so I'm, I'm hungry. What? Well, we encourage our guests to arrive late morning because we serve our main meal in the middle of the day. <laughs> and then oh. in the oh. afternoon there are the steam soreness and then at night we just serve a, a thin soup. Yes, yes. And I can walk you through Monday, Tuesday if you like. Monday and Tuesday are the same. And Monday, okay. Monday and Tuesday are juicing days. So every two hours we serve fresh fruit and vegetable juices. There we, we serve five juices in the day. Uh, in the morning there's an exercise program and then I, I give a lecture for a couple of hours and then there are massages, uh, lymphatic massages, remedial massages, facials. We have a hyperbaric chamber. We also have some wrap treatments specific for cancer patients and we have a colonic irrigation. So when, when you first have your consult with me, we determine uh, what treatments uh, you would like. Um, some people want two a day. Some people will just have the two a week, which is part of the, the price of our program. Okay. And so I just wake up at normal time when I wake up and then... Uh, we wake you up at 6 and then we have our exercise program 6.30 to 7.30. Right. Okay. 7.30 and then after that, would I get free time to explore the grounds? Uh, you do. So uh, 6.30, 7.30 is exercise time uh, and then at 8 o'clock the juice is served and then 8.30 to 10.30 I give a lecture. So from 10.30 on, if you don't have a massage booked for that day, that's your free time. Okay. So there's a fair bit of free time through the day. Uh, juices every couple of hours, a treatment if you do have one. If you don't, you might. I say to our guests, well, if you don't have a treatment this morning, you might have an appointment with Dr. Knapp or Dr. Sunshine or Dr. Exploration of the Bush or... Dr. Walk or Dr. Reed. <laughs> so there's a variety of things that you can pursue in that time. Okay. So the resort doesn't just um, put people back onto a healthy lifestyle. It also educates them with your lectures, okay. well, with your two-hour lectures. We feel that's a very important part of our program because – the million-dollar question when our guests get near the end of their week is, well, what do we do now? And one of our aims is educating people so that when they go home, they know what to do. And when, when we have our final consultation in the last few days, I put a program together for the person. And that program will depend on the person, what they can do, what they uh, what their condition is, so I will suggest. And together we'll put a program together. So if a person has sore knees and can't, can't walk or jog, I might suggest an exercise bike or, or a rebounder, that little mini trampoline. So I taper my advice depending on the person. Okay.
Now, it sounds like quite a harsh environment there. Do you ever get people that are overstayers, people that really don't want to go because it's so such a beautiful place? Well, apart from apart from yourself and your your husband Michael, apart from you two, do you get other people that? <laughs> yes, we do. We we actually get people from all over the world that want to come and work volunteer. So we have ah uh, recently we had a couple from Brazil. Uh, I think we've got a girl there from New Zealand at the moment. We've got another lady there from the Netherlands. So they contact my husband, Michael, and he, he arranges it so we don't get everyone at once. <laughs> and we say, we'll give you a bed, we'll, we'll feed you, and then they help out at the health retreat. It's really, it's really amazing, the, um, just the, the thought. You know, it's, it's a recluse, isn't it? So recludes away from now. Most people will be coming from a city um, background. Would they often? Would they comment to you how it's so different from their, you know, from where they're where they're living? You know, which oh. might be a you know a dusty dusty city, oh, noisy. Yes, they do. <laughs> we get. Uh, we've got one lady. I think she's done our program eighteen times. She. Gosh. She just loves it. She just keeps coming back. And when I say to her, what's your reason for coming, which I always ask our guests, she said, oh, I just love it. <laughs> That's the reason. Well, people do, um, they've got holiday homes that they go to. Why not make your Misty Mountains yeah. a health retreat, a, a holiday resort? And while you're having your holiday, you, you sort of get a, yeah. you recharge your body. And, That's true. Um, that is true. People say when they leave, they feel like they've had a holiday, whereas many people today have a holiday and when they get back, they, they need a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. And sometimes the holidays, where they're, where they're having the holiday isn't really that fantastic and they start missing home again. So something's wrong. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you go to, you've got to sort of change your venue, change where you go for your holiday, if that's the case. Okay. Now, um, the... Uh, there's four points that the summit's going to cover. We're, we're covering the benefits of retreats. We've, we've sort of gone through the, um, the mechanics of, the, of your retreat, and it sounds amazing. What other benefits does your retreat have that may be over and above uh, visits to the doctor and other sort of things that people do at the moment? Okay. Well, I, I think one of our biggest benefits is that we work with, the human body and its inbuilt ability to heal itself. Whereas if a person goes to a doctor and get a drug, that is not working with the body's ability to heal itself. You see, a doctor can set a bone, but he cannot heal a bone. So we work with that healing process in the body. And that's why I'm constantly listening to people, listening to what their body is telling them. So at our retreat, we'll try different things. And we'll try this, what's your body saying? So in this very process, we're also teaching the person to listen to their body. I've heard some scary stories of, you know, side effects from medications. And people are pleasantly surprised, I suppose, at the, at the realisation that their body is quite a remarkable organism. It's time to listen to it and it's time to... Keep adjusting until you find a program that your body says this is good. And the, and the grind, the torturous grind that people call the working week, there is the tendency, I guess, for people just to block out or, um, you know, like take painkillers if, if they have got a headache or sleeping tablets if they can't sleep. This always there's something round and white or maybe different colour yeah. which can solve that problem. But it's, all it's doing is cutting the communication between your body and, and your brain. So you're that not aware. True. That is true. I say that when, when a problem arises, whether it be sleeplessness, whether it be an itch or a pain or discomfort, the body's knocking. And if you don't listen to that knock, it's going to start knocking with a sledgehammer. And one of the problems with drug medication, it, it just covers the knock. It actually doesn't stop the knock. It gets so that you can't hear the knock. 
And, and after a while, the sledgehammer has to come out. And then people say, how did it get to this? And my response is, I'm amazed that it didn't get to this sooner. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, um, how often would you take, as, as an example, Barbara, um, something for a headache, like a, a, a medicine for a headache, like a Panadol or Dispirin, Aspirin? Yeah. Do, do you know, if I get a headache, um, the last thing in my mind is to take a medication. <laughs> I immediately think, why have I got a headache? Is it because I had a late night? Is it because I've eaten something that doesn't agree with me? Is it because I'm dehydrated? Is it because I need to go out and get some fresh air? And so that's what I'll do. I'll take steps to remedy the cause of why I've got a headache. And so without a word of a lie, Barbara, when was the last time you took something for your headache, you think? Oh, if something for a headache would have been maybe 40 years ago. Wow, that's, that's <laughs> absolutely amazing. I've gone, I've gone for about three or four years, I think, now yeah. without something. Yeah. I've always been light. I've always avoided it. But, so, you know, sometimes you get a headache and you, you right. do have something important the next day. You do really yeah. need to get your sleep. But yeah. 40 years, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a while. I used to get migraines and I used to get headaches a lot. And as yes. I began to uh, investigate about the body's way of healing, I realized I was so dehydrated. I used to drink two wow. cups of water a day. And every time I traveled anywhere in the car, I hated it. I'd always get a headache. But I, well, just as well I don't get headaches now because half of my life almost is traveling. But I don't um, get headaches. I don't get headaches anymore. Isn't that amazing? This yeah. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who, that's why I say to people, there's no reserve tank on the back. The only water you put in is, I mean, the only water that's in there is the water that you put in. And so I say to people, just sip it all through the day. It used to balk me to drink a whole glass of water. So yes. that's why I say to people, just have it by your desk and just little bits all through the day. You have a mouth of water every five minutes, you'll easily get eight glasses of water a day. I was talking to, um, in the previous seven, one expert that said, just drink through a straw because you don't realize how much you're drinking. Wow. You know, when you go and you, you buy, well, this is, um, you know, how you, you must, I don't know whether you um, subscribe to this point of view, Barbara, but sometimes you've got to, you've got to allow a bit of room, I believe, to be a bit naughty. And so if you buy yourself a milkshake, which has got sugars and flavors and all this, uh, I mean, it's, it's soul food rather than just body food. And you drink through a straw and you're, you're just doing your things and then it's, it's empty all of a sudden. You wonder where it's gone. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's suddenly evaporated. So yeah, with a straw, true. you may not realize how much you're drinking. That's true. It's a <laughs> and very this expert good idea. just drank the water. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Sort of bypasses the brain, goes straight to the gullet. <sighs> okay. Um, now, gut health and irritable bowel syndrome. We're going to talk about that. Now, how important is it to have a healthy gut? It's very, very important because the gut is a hollow tube. And anything that goes in that hollow tube is not part of you or me until it gets broken down to tiny substances and absorbed into the blood. So if that process is interfered with, a person can suffer from malnutrition because they're not getting the nutrients out of their food because their gut is not working as it should. So one of my favorite meetings I give is I say to people, I'm going to take you on a journey through your gastrointestinal tract. We're going to start at the mouth and finish at the other end. <laughs> because most people don't know that process. And I have on, on uh, YouTube where I take people through that. And people are astonished when I take them through. Yes. Now, um, for our viewers, Barbara has a YouTube channel um, where... She has a collection of videos. Each one of those videos is riveting stuff. And they are th mo almost all of them have got a beautiful introduction of a, it's not a wallaby, I think it's a proper kangaroo. It's a little wallaby. <laughs> a little wallaby. And it's, it's standing in long grass and, and just, just doing wallaby business. And then um, Barbara talks about 
you know, her health issues. She's got her white ball behind her. And I was watching her videos, and they're very easy to follow because Barbara is very graphical. She draws things. And, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. I understand. <laughs> so please, I, I invite people, you know, I encourage people to uh, look at the uh, series of videos. Um, now, one point you're mentioning about the stomach being a hollow tube. What is it possible that someone can be malnourished and still consume a reasonable oh, yeah. quantity of food? I, absolutely. And as I show people, digestion starts in the mouth and your saturated fats and your starch start there. So you should chew very well. Now, a lot of people are suffering from gut problems because they don't chew properly. So we've got to be like the the steam train, you know, choo, 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 choo. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you've been a mother many times with a really, many children. <laughs> and then when we get into the stomach, it's a very acid environment and only protein breaks down there. And that's, it's very important that the stomach be acid. So when someone says, I've got a very acid stomach, I say, fantastic, it should be acid. Yes. Because that's what breaks your protein down. But if people are eating all day long, if people are having lots of drinks with their meal, that interferes with the hydrochloric acid and the other enzymes that break your protein down. So a lot of people don't realize we should drink between meals and not with meals. Okay. That, that's it. So chewing your food and drinking between meals instead of with meals and giving a break. So it takes about three and a half to four hours to digest a meal and then the stomach loves a break of an hour. So we should be leaving about five hours between meals. So I say to people, have you ever had a, have you ever had a three and a half hour job to do and you keep getting interrupted? And that job can take eight hours. <laughs> so this illustration shows that you can actually still have a bit of breakfast in your stomach at the end of the day if it keeps getting interrupted. So they're, okay. they're, they're simple points, but they can have a dramatic effect, a dramatic change on the way our gut digests our meals. Yes, I guess in particular over a long period of time, if you keep that pattern. That's right. That's right. As I often say, it's not the odd day you do it and it's not the odd day you don't. It's what you do every day that makes the difference. After you've had your meal, is it important to rest or as normal? Do you know, I think there are two extremes after a meal. If you go straight to bed after a meal, you'll slow digestion down. And if you uh, run up a mountain after a meal, you take the energy from the stomach to the working muscles. So gentle walking, gentle activities are best after a meal. Okay. I remember as a child, we used to have half an hour of playtime. It's called lunch, but we all called it playtime. Yeah. And so you had to cram your food, <laughs> sit yeah. down like, you know, nice child, which we never did. We'd be playing as we were eating. Yeah. We'd be running around and playing, playing Doctor Who zombies and well, it's, it's yeah. actually easy at the time. Yeah. And... You know, trying to avoid the Daleks, which are out to get you. And oh, you, um, you, you must be a male because us girls didn't play that one. Which one did you play? Dollies. Oh, well, that's a gentle one. We played with dolls or we did skipping ropes or we played okay. mo mothers, that sort of thing. Okay. If, if a child was to have their food and then keep on being, you know, fully active... As a child, where then where everything just happens faster anyway, is that unhealthy for a child? No, not necessarily, because you'll find children they're not they're not running up a mountain full bore for half an hour. You know, Mike? you've got to be they're, kidding. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> they're, they're, there's little. I've I've noticed that children will dart here, do this, stop for a moment, dart here, do that. That oh, that, that sort yeah. of things. That sort of things. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So, because I, I guess a few mothers will be watching this video and thinking, gosh, you know, my little Johnny, he's eating and then out the door and running with his friends. So it's not, it's not a concern. Not, not really with children because um, that's what I find with children. They'll dart and stop. They'll dart and stop, you know. They'll run over and see that friend and they'll chat for a while. Then I'll run over and see that friend. So, no, 
you, you just let children go. The only thing you would not let a child do is eat the meal, then go and sit in front of a television or sit in front oh. of Game Boys. You know, that, that is far worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, why would you say it's far worse? It's giving your body a bit of a rest so it can digest. That's right. You, you see, the physical activity helps digestion. I'm not talking about extreme physical activity, you know, running a, running a race. Whereas sitting in front of a computer, that takes a lot of mind activity and that extra activity on the mind can take away from the digestion in the stomach. So it can almost equal severe physical activity is severe mental activity. Okay. okay. And, the, and the body stopped, you know, gentle activity or even just little kids starting around, that, incre that helps digestion. At the very start of this talk, we we're talking a little bit about technology and how you were in a low tech, what you would consider a low technology environment. Now, do you think that the body follows your mind? Like uh, if someone's, um, it's, it's, it's health more than physical. That's really what I'm trying to find the words to ask. Well, I, I definitely know that the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, where where someone's sitting down playing computer games uh, for most of the day. Yeah. How would that affect? I mean, apart from the fact that they're physically stationary and so they may gain some body mass. Yeah. Um, well, is, is there more? Their body, see what happens is, and I, I read this term in one book, we've got a lot of monomaniacs today, meaning they're only developing one part of their mind and that unfortunately is technology and our mind should be balanced. So they should be creating and that can be, uh, and there should be music and there should be physical arts like learning how to ski, learning how to skate, learning how to ride a bike, so all of those activities, that brings balance to the mind. But getting back to your original question, what is the effect of a child sitting and um, watching or on a computer all day? One, they're developing one part of their brain. That brings an imbalance to the brain. Number two, their body's not getting any physical activity. And so their muscles begin to weaken. Their whole digestive tract slows down so no monomaniacs please we need we need a balance of mental <laughs> physical but in the mental we need a balance of the mental well these monomaniacs they're going to be growing up into mono adults and they're going to be quite yeah, yeah. Quite, quite different people <laughs> yeah yeah and and the, and the best way for them to heal is to go bush with no technology at all and get physical Get the physical happening. If someone was to, um, let's say you're, you're a typical teenager and you spend your uh, compulsory six hours in front of the computer doing whatever, how, and then they're, they're, they're made to go into a bush type environment where there's no technology and when you fall over you do graze yourself. What, what sort of time would it normally take before a mind shift takes place? And I realise that there is a real world rather than a virtual world out there. Have you have you seen any? Yeah, it it depends. It depends on much. It depends yeah. on uh, when the when the child or the teenager falls over and grazes their leg, and the person with them says, "You'll be right, mate. Just brush it <laughs> off. Let's keep going." <laughs> Or, yeah. whether, or whether the person was, this is terrible, we'll have to get an ambulance. Oh. And of, often it's how it's, um, how it's handled. I, mm. I really endeavoured to raise children who thought for themselves. You know, I, I was never quick to solve their problems. I stood back a little <laughs> bit and let them solve their problems for themselves. And if they asked help, I was there. But if, and when they solved the problem for themselves, they have a great sense of achievement. So in Australia today, we've got a term, it's called helicopter parents. 
yes, yes. hover around the children and that's too dangerous. No, you might get hurt, you know, and they, they never let them think for themselves. And I think it's very unfortunate. But um, mm. when I was raising my children, I'd often have other kids come. And, you know, at first they found it difficult to, to fit in because my kids would just run of a crowd, you know, very much loved part of the crowd. And they would stand back and do things and no one took much notice. So it wasn't long before they jumped in and became part of the crowd, you know, and they just loved that. So it depends on many things. Depends on how fit the person is. Depends on how damaged the, the brain is. Depends on, uh, you know, the environment that they're in. But we live in an amazing body with an incredible ability to adapt and adjust. and and I, I like to think, and in the majority of cases, we do adapt and adjust quite quickly. And you, you've been mother to eight children, so you certainly had a lot of experience with the... Yes, because um... yes, they're all different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I guess with eight children, you wouldn't want to be in a city environment, would you? You'd want to have wide open spaces. So if someone thinks it's too intense, well, just open the door and... There's a big yard outside. Just go and, 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 and you know, play rockets outside. Yeah, there is. And if, if a child was getting difficult, we'd say, down the chook yard. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they'd go down the chook yard and spend a bit of time looking and talking to chooks. They'd always come back better. <laughs> oh, so it was literally the chook yard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I guess the chickens wouldn't give them much notice, would they? So, oh, okay. <laughs> You've got, you haven't got food? I'm not interested. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the, um, the stomach uh, with eating foods, your mouth is the first part of your digestive system, and you're talking about it uh, breaking down saturated fats. And one of the things we're going to talk about is fantastic fats. Now, people are taught to avoid fats because they'll make you fat. Yeah. And so I really wanted to talk about fantastic fats because I know the answer is not so clear cut. Can you explain to us what are fantastic fats? Well, it's a surprise to most people that one of the worst fats, is, it comes from a fat-free diet. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, and... When I've got my whiteboard and on the liver lecture you'll see it, I show that a high carbohydrate diet, especially high wheat, high sugar, they all break down in the body to glucose and the body can only use so much of the glucose. So once it's used the glucose at the cell, the excess has to be stored as fat. And that is a dangerous fat because it weighs down the internal organs, it gets stored on the inactive parts of the body and many people have heard the word triglyceride fats, you know, causing heart disease. Well, they're triglyceride fats. It's fat from an overabundance of sugars and starches in the diet. The other dangerous fats are altered fats. So the safest fats are hands, as I say, come from the hand of the creator. So there's your coconuts and your avocados and your nuts and your seeds. They are excellent fats and people have been eating them for centuries and have not had heart disease. In fact, it's only when they started to change the fats, you know, make margarines or heat, heat the oils, cooking oils. When the fats are changed, they become dangerous fats and it's like margarine, the body doesn't even recognise it. It's got to get rid of it as soon as possible. It says alien from outer space has just ended. Gosh. Delete. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, but rapeseed oil, that comes from a plant, a rapeseed plant. That's and that's right. got a bit of a, um, a, bit of a dirty uh, yes, reputation. And another name is canola oil. Now, canola oil is high in uracic acid and that's toxic to humans. So they genetically modified the canola oil to get the uracic acid levels net down. Now we've got a, a genetically modified fat and genetically modified foods, they break down into molecules that our body cannot recognise. So there's a lot of danger with that one. 
I didn't actually realize it. They, I just thought they changed the process to remove that acid. So they've actually changed the plant. Yes, they've, they've tampered with the DNA. And now it gets the FDA tick. I see, beware of that tick. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've noticed, Barbara, as I, as I go to different places, I see the rapeseed plant that's growing wild. I mean, it's a beautiful looking plant with its yellow flower, yeah. but it's a bit insidious what, what, you know, the oils that come from. And now, from what you've told me, I'll, I'll have the knowledge <coughs> that, that every single one of them is genetically modified. So it's, Yeah, keep away from that one. <laughs> keep well away. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, if you do have... If you do cooking using canola oil, which is, which is promoted as a healthy oil, not a diesel fuel, which is what it started out as, mm. um, what will it do to your body long term? Well, it's high in omega-3 and omega-6, which are destroyed with heat. And they use heat to extract the canola oil. So number one, well, number one is it's genetically modified, which means it can interfere with your DNA. Number two, mm. these oils are destroyed oils, which means they're mutagenic and they can cause cancer. And Gosh. So you see, just, just those few things alone tell us that this is, this is a bad oil. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we know we all know that. Um, well, most people realise that coconut oil is very healthy. They uh, just last week I was reading a report where they're comparing different oils for weight gains, and <laughs> one of the oils which which um, really put the bacon on was soy oil, soybean yeah. oil. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a shocker. It's a shocker. I don't touch the soybean oil. Okay, number one, it's been genetically modified in America. It's called Roundup Ready. It's been genetically modified to resist Gosh. Roundup. And one farmer told ah. me that the, they spray the field once a month for five months. So that plant now has five doses of Roundup on it and it's genetically modified. And Roundup kills the plants by interfering with the, the way the hormones work. In fact, some, some scientists are claiming Roundup's even worse than DDT. So with the soybean oil, before we even extract the oil, we've got big problems. Number one, it's full of poisons. Number two, it's been genetically modified. And the oils in there are destroyed with heat and it's extracted with heat. So, and the reason why the body puts on weight with those oils and like canola oil it comes in, it's toxic, so the body says, quick, wrap it up and fat and store it to try mm -hmm. and prevent it from harming the body. So it's actually sitting in those fat cells. It's uh, dangerous stuff. It is. Well, there's no shortage of coconut oil as an alternative, and it's cheap as anything. That's it right. really makes me wonder why, why, why find an expensive alternative and, and promote it as a, as a healthy oil or healthy fat. That's true. That's true. Well, well, as one writer said, America doesn't grow coconuts, so they're not going to push coconut oil. That was <laughs> the, bottom, the bottom line with that. But co coconut oil is a saturated fat, which means... Yeah. It, it resists destruction from light and heat and oxygen, so it's a very stable fat. Okay. Is, would um, canola oil or rapeseed oil, uh, or how, how, does, how, does, how do animal oils compare? Like if I was brought up to avoid... Well, animal, animal fats are similar in some ways to coconut because they're saturated fats. But some of the dangers with the animal fats, and that is today, is that environmental poisons are fat soluble. And so it's in the fat of the animals that these environmental poisons um, are. So when a person is eating those, those uh, saturated fats from the animal kingdom, they're usually getting quite a large dose of the, of the poisons. Right. Actually, this is rolling very comfortably into our fourth subject, which is pollution. Mm. Now, 
your retreat is in a place which is Christine, I could see the beautiful blue skies. The um, the river that flows through. Do you um, apart from the um, the chilly dips in the morning after the uh, the hot hot um, pool um, relaxation sessions? Do you use the water for anything else that's flowing in that river? Um, our water that we drink is sourced deep below the riverbeds, and it's naturally okay. filtered through several several layers of shale and then it's pumped up to a big holding tank so in some ways we use it but where we source it from it's filtered now that's a real plus for us because if we have dry times when the rivers are not flowing very fast and the bottom of the river can get a little you know green slime growing on or in flood times where the where the water's brown because it's you know it's so flooded we still can access pure water okay, okay. Mm. how do you generate power uh, we are on the main electricity line but we do have okay. a lot of solar panels so okay. and that's greatly reduced our needing to use the mains power but everything fact, we okay. use through the day is totally free because because of our solar panels. Do you try and keep your um, your environmental footprint as small as possible in your retreat? We we certainly do. We certainly do. We're um, we're on a property that was fairly badly damaged when we got it, and it was the buildings were in a bad state. The uh, the the privet had just taken over the land so little by little by little we've been clearing it up so that what we want is lovely rolling grass right down to the creek's edge and our maintenance man Jeff who's very good at <coughs> little by little uh, we're getting to that goal right right well you know as a keep on saying on the internet when I looked at your site it looked it did look beautiful now Unfortunately, most people don't have the benefit of living in such pristine conditions. Um, are there things that people can do on a regular basis to try and reduce the impact of the pollution that's all around them? They certainly can. I say to people, you don't have any say over your neighbour, but you have say over your little castle, your little place. So it's a good idea to start looking through the laundry cupboard, looking through what's, you know, and discovering what is in your toothpaste, what is in your laundry detergent, what are you cleaning your bathroom with, and endeavouring to buy as much organic food as possible. You see, the more people that buy organic, the more people, the more organic will be grown. So, and also in your house, just really ad address your electromagnetic field exposure. This is another poison that's not seen as such because you can't actually see it. So I say all homes Wi-Fi should be switched off at night. If you're going to charge your phones or your iPads, try and do it in the next room. If you've got to have your iPhone as an alarm clock, try and have it about uh, two foot away from where you sleep because even two foot away can reduce your exposure to those electromagnetic fields by about three quarters. So being very aware of your environment is port important. And I also say to people, I'm fussy where my dollar goes. So I try and buy local foods. Uh, lo like I prefer to buy Australian olive oil rather than Greek olive oil. So just little things like that, there's lots you can do. Now, one environmental poison that many people don't see it as such is mould. So it's very important that we live in mould-free homes because mould can cause sickness. There's a Netflix, yes. it's a Netflix uh, little 30-minute clip you can watch called Mouldy, and that really opens your eyes. The stories of people who got incredibly sick and they sourced it to exposure to in their mouldy houses. So um, it's called mouldy, is that M-O-U? That's L right. L okay, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's the English spelling. Okay. Yeah. 
Gosh, when you, when you had, when one of the topics was pollution, I, was, I naturally thought about an environmental pollution. But we've but you're talking about pollution that people are actually yeah <laughs> yeah because and the reason I talk about that pollution is because that's the one we have say over absolutely and the ones we don't have say over um, you're you're best to try and keep away from them as much as possible. See if you're going to buy a house, you've got to have a good look at where it is. Not only do you need to have a look at if it's near pollution or main roads, but you need to look up and see if it's near any big electrical towers. And you also need to do your homework and make sure your house wasn't built on landfill that maybe chemicals are under. There's, you know, you've really got to do your homework. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's very hard, Barbara, to walk through a supermarket and find the healthy options you go uh, a, a big thing that i sort of always avoid is um like any deodorant that's got aluminium mm. it's, it's it's everywhere yes yes and aluminium is the worst thing you can put anywhere near your body it is. and one of the scary things is what ha what's happening to people's minds you see in australia 1700 cases of alzheimer's is being diagnosed every week and aluminium in deodorants is a contributing factor. There's many contributing factors. Yes, it's, it's absolutely shocking. Yeah, the other deodorants work fine, but you've just got to try and find yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know one lady said that she use a, uses a uh, crystal. You can buy a crystal yes. and she rubs yes. that under. Yeah. Michael and I haven't used deodorant for about 40 years, I, I don't think. See. <laughs> I guess when you're living well, you're eating well, your alimentary organs are working well, um, your body odor is not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've, if you've still got your same circle of friends, then it can't be too bad. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, the, um, I, I guess there's things. Do you, do you make any products? to replace like like things like toothpaste or soaps shampoos well, we really haven't got the the staff or the money or the time to do such things but i always say there's no need to reinvent the wheel because there are some excellent companies that are making some very good products it's a matter of just searching out uh, see i'm in new zealand at the moment and there's a brand called echo store and yes. they they make um all cleaning products, laundry products. Even even though in Australia we use a lot of the Echo Store, Echo Store yes. brands. So, and I mm. also love supporting such such companies. There is one thing I make myself still, and that is comfrey cream. Now, comfrey is a it's a plant, and it's got a growth stimulant in it. So every spring and summer, I collect the leaves, I dry them out, I pulverize them, I put them in olive oil for two months. And I strain them and warm them up with beeswax, and that's our comfrey cream. And this comfrey cream is dark green in colour, indicating the amount of uh, leaves that are in there. That's the only thing that I make. I used to make um, the herbal tinctures too, the glycerin tinctures, but uh, I travel such a lot now. But comfrey yes. cream is, is still a little one that I still make. And that's a tropical cream for your face, is it? That's right. Because it's got a growth stimulant, it helps where there's injury of any sort. And its nickname is knit bone. So it can be, uh, it can be rubbed into any injury anywhere in the body. Remarkable. Mm. Well, that's nice. I like little snippets of information like this. It's sort of salt away for, for future reference. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it is important, I think, to find the healthy... Um, products if That's more right. people buy them then there's more demand and those industries yeah. will grow and the other industries will wane the ones that just use this that, that is absolutely true that's why I say to people think about where your dollars going think about mm. whose pockets it's going in and mm. su support mm. that local industry it might cost you a little bit more but you know when we assess where we put our money and we carefully budget it we can do it 
Right. Well, I've just transitioned very recently from a liquid shampoo, which is sodium ruth sulfate, to a bar soap, which yeah. has got the good stuff in it. Yes, yes. And you really do feel the difference. You don't need a conditioner afterwards. Well, I need a bit more hair. So this soap's going to last a long time. But the, the feel, yeah. in my case, the skin feel, it's, it's very different from when you do shampoo, very different. After shampooing, it is dry, and you do need to sort of put something on to sort of mask that. That's true, that's true, that's true. Um, well, as you can see, I've got very long hair. Yes. Um, but I have heard, and I haven't tried it, uh, is that just aloe vera gel, you can wash your hair with that. Well, it's a homogenized gel, so it'll absorb yeah. the oils in your hair. Gosh, that will give your hair a beautiful sheen afterwards. That's true. About once every couple of months, I totally oak coconut or my whole scalp or my hair and I, I twist it up in a little knot and I leave it like that all day long. <laughs> and then I shampoo it out at the end of the day because the shampoos we have are a coconut-based shampoo. They're all natural. No sodium lauryl sulfate. Most people don't realise that the sodium lauryl sulfate can kill hair follicles. And that's in most shampoos. That's what causes it to be all frothy. So when I do that to my hair, um, it gets very, very silky. Coconut oil is such an amazing oil. It is. It's got many uses, and it can handle the heat while you're cooking too. You can make, you can make chips, healthy chips. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know what we do? We, we parboil the potatoes and lightly coat them in coconut oil and put them in a high oven. And our cook makes beautiful wedges. You could even cut them to look like chips. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard, not hard to get children to eat them, that's for sure. No. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go, um, we're getting close to the end of the summer. There's a couple of questions that have come through. And just a reminder to our viewers in both uh, Facebook and who have registered online, um, just send a message through chat or through the Q&A and uh, we'll ask uh, Barbara. The questions. Now, the first one is from um, Donald Tomanilo. I'll put my glasses on. Um, he asks, I've been trying to heal myself for over 45 years. Well, this is, a lot of people have been sick for a long time because what we've been discussing, you know, there's not That's really true. many healthy options out there. And he's um, found it harder to see results during the last 10 years. And he's asking, how does he clear the blocks? Uh, he's got recurring uh, urinary tract infection due to cross-contamination from a colostomy. Oh, he has trouble sleeping. Nice. Yeah, um, he's got a height or pain, twisted colon for digestion, candida. He's got Lyme disease and he's got the Epstein-Barr virus. So he's, he's had a tough time to date. Yeah, we've got a lot, um, of, thing, a lot of things happening there. A lot of things happening yeah. there. And I guess the colostomy cannot be reversed. Sometimes they do a colostomy for a little while and then it's able to be reversed. But um, he would have to be, be very careful with cleanliness on the colostomy bag. But there is a very good herb called golden seal. And golden seal, its nickname is king of tonics to warm mucous membrane. You can buy it in a tincture or a powder. And golden seal is anti-staphylococcic, anti-streptococcic, antimicrobial, antifungal. It's quite a phenomenal herb. It's a very expensive herb. At one stage, we we're paying 800 a kilo for this herb. And wow. in, Australia, in Australia, we can't buy it at the moment. We're getting it from America. So I'm just warning you, it's expensive, but you don't need very much. And it's a remarkable herb. So always with urinary tract infections, it's important to drink a lot of water. And as I mentioned earlier, the best way to get a lot of water into you is little by little by little. Just think of the dripper system on the garden, drip, drip, drip. And as you mentioned, John, a straw can make it very easy. So if someone had urinary tract infection, I would suggest they get uh, golden seal tablets or golden seal powder, mix it in a little water and take that or the tincture and take that about three times a day and again increase the water. Regarding the other ailments, they're, they're actually um, they're all indicative of a body that is not working very well. And the best way to get the body working in optimum 
conditions are outlined in my lectures. So I would advise this man to, to go through my series of lectures. There's about 13 hours, but an hour a day, and <laughs> you'll cover them all in 13 hours. And they are, they are all up on YouTube. Yes, I've seen them myself, and they're, they're, they're brilliantly uh, presented. They're very, very um, professional uh, lectures that you hold. So, yes, I'd, I'd validate that. So, Donald, that's some um, good advice for you to follow. Um, I wasn't aware of the golden seal herb. I've heard of that. I didn't realise, well, I didn't know much about it. So um, I'll be doing some research after this talk as well. There's another question from Helen Brid uh, Pridgen. Um, she's asking, uh, can you please ask about uterine fibroids? Um, her doctor has told her there's no cause for them. Uterine well, fibroids. Um, and there's some people who just get them. Uterine fibroids, you see, there's an old proverb that says, the curse causeless shall not come. In other words, no problem happens without a cause. And that's Newton's third law of motion too. There is a cause for fibroids and it's a hormonal imbalance. Now I have a lecture on YouTube on hormones and I list all the things that can throw the hormones out. But what tops the list is the contraceptive pill. <clears throat> it, yeah, it throws the hormones out. So many women that have been on the pill or daughters of women that were on the pill can have this imbalance. And uh, I talk about the yam the Mexican wild yam, yes. we sell it in a cream form that's able to balance it back because the problem is high estrogen. That's what the pill causes. Many chemicals, environmental poisons cause this disruption as well. Exposure to plastics can do it. So <clears throat> stopping all exposure to those things and taking this Mexican wild yam, ideally in a cream form, and castor oil compresses over the abdominal area can help to break up a fibroid. You see, um, castor oil penetrates deeper than any other oil and wherever it penetrates, it breaks up lumps, bumps, congestions and adhesions. So going on the yam cream gets the estrogen down, which is feeding the fibroid, and applying castor oil compresses, ideally you would apply uh, the compress for five to six hours a day or overnight. And I have a lecture on YouTube on poultices where I explain how to make the castor oil compress. It is quite remarkable how some oils can pass through the skin membrane and into your bloodstream, I think. That's, you know, like I've recently been doing, um, <laughs> um, well, been learning about essential oils. And you can put something on your skin to change an internal organ and the organ can be like a distance away from your skin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's your your nerves and your blood it, there's a phenomenal um communication system all through the body do you yes. know it takes, it, yes. it takes one minute for one drop of blood to go around your whole body gosh so that's a pretty quick system isn't it and it is a fast system our, our nervous system, it can be travelling up to 200 kilometres an hour. <laughs> so, amazing body we live in. <laughs> it is an amazing body. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for coming on to our show. It's been absolutely fascinating, the topics we've been talking about. Now, Barbara is an expert on several other, well, a lot of things, really. And uh, before this show, we were wondering which, which topic should we choose? And so we chose a few. But Barbara, we'd love to have you on at some later stage, maybe when you're back home in Australia um, and, you, and you're a little bit more settled mm -hmm. perhaps. And because there's, uh, I, I had difficulty when I was reading through what things shouldn't we talk about? And there's nothing. It's, it's all, all things that are relevant in today's life. You're, That's you're, true. That's true. Everything must be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you give practical answers. Mm -hmm. to real-life problems yeah. rather than theoretical solutions because you're doing it. Right. You've, yeah. You don't talk about how a retreat is good for getting someone into a healthy environment and then educating them. You're doing it. Mm. And so you're doing a remarkable work. Yeah, it's that fascinating. Is, that, is, that is wonderful. I've got sons that 
renovate houses. I've got sons that renovate gardens. We renovate bodies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm surprised that your resort's so small because there must be a huge demand for well, we, you know, people. We, um, we like it to be small because we like it to be personal. We can't like to keep our eye on, um, on everything that's happening there. And we'd like to keep it small. <laughs> but probably where, and that's why we put our lectures up on YouTube so that everyone can access the information. Right. And just for a reminder for our viewers, um, Barbara is the health director of the Misty Mountain Health Retreat in Maclay Valley West of Kempsey between Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie. Did I say that right, Barbara? You did. You did. We're exactly halfway between Brisbane and Sydney. If I was living in Australia and I was anywhere within that area, like a thousand kilometres radius, I'd come and pay you a visit for sure. In mm -hmm. fact, when I do go to Australia, you expect a knock on the door <laughs> because it, it, it sounds like a magical place. Not You're because right. I've got anything wrong with me, but just because it doesn't look so amazing. I want to see the wallaby. <laughs> oh, yes. And you will with their little babies poking their heads out. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for giving us your time. Um, Barbara's in um, Auckland, New Zealand. She's um, attending other lectures there. She's in Whitford, which is a beautiful country um, place outside from the main city. So you pick your places very well, Barbara. I've got to hand it to you. Not many people are aware that Whitford is actually on the map. No. So you've done very well. So thank you for your time and thank you for being so gracious and, and, and generous with your knowledge, not just now but in your life. You've, it's, you've changed. It's a pleasure, John. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a safe, safe bit to say that you've changed thousands of people's lives for the better. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a blessing. Thank you, John. <laughs>